Hey, 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 welcome Black Tribers, our second podcast. I was I ran solo my first one of this you year. You did awesome. And I killed it. People loved and it. And I got some bad comments, but thank you for commenting. We love the comments. <laughs> I love millennials, by the way. Just say that for me. Hey, we're in our New Horizons studio here in Colorado Springs. This is where we have our foundation and our son Michael's name that we lost, where we raise our, our support and our money. Um, and so this is awesome. It's so great that nice, they're letting us do this. It is beautiful. Yeah. yeah. You guys we're, have seen so many backgrounds as we've traveled. And so thankful. So the, if you're on our Patreon, you're watching us on video. Um, which for a buck a month, it's awesome. We're, we're putting out some new material for our marriage, $10 level. Um, and we're building that up. And if you're on our podcast, we're on Apple, we're on SoundCloud, make sure you go and like it and listen and give yeah. us feedback. <laughs> and you can find all of this at GaryAndLisaBlack.com, which by the way, brand new website coming out very soon, probably next week. It's January 29th. 2021. Wow. That's exciting. And here we are. So I'm excited because what we're doing is we are remixing. Yeah. We're, well, I think that we, uh, I think we did a great job winging it when we were traveling and figuring things out. Putting things and, on boxes, which we still have a couple we, things we, on boxes. We just kept going, but we really are, uh, this is our main focus right now until school starts with uh, G42. And so we are working hard, studying a lot, putting a lot together. I'm spending a lot of time coaching, which we both love. And also I'm just basically writing constantly, constantly, constantly. She's so, on her little chair in our little room yeah. in our little apartment. I and made she it writes. my office. Yes. And, well, in between all of her coaching. So, uh, again, find all of this securitylisablack.com. You're going to kind of revise your story. So we had a book coming out. Yes. And you felt really strongly yes. that that was not the first book that, that you should release. The first one. So we went back yeah. and you've written a new book mm-hmm. and it's a memoir. It is a memoir. What does a memoir mean? It means there it's according to my memories, uh-huh. which I'm trying to be very sensitive to because anytime you write a memoir, it is your perspective and I have zero desire to ever hurt anybody. Right. Um, and so I have uh, rewritten and rewritten and rewritten and made sure that it's my story and that I only speak from my perspective, but it's been very emotionally draining. Well, it costs you everything because it's cost me a lot. You guys, and I want to encourage you telling your own story in the way that Lisa's doing it with excellence is very hard and it's very costly because it comes from everything within you and emotionally it just drains you. Doesn't yeah, it? you get to relive all of the things, but that's what life is. Life is, I, I'm speaking to so many young women every day and, and they're frustrated with how hard life is and wondering when that moment's going to come, when it's going to get easier. And I want to tell them like, it doesn't get easier. It just gets different. Yes. And more, the more I think about the last 50 years of my life and putting it on paper and reliving all of it and having conversations with my children about it, the more I realize like I've grown as a person, things that happened to me in my twenties that bothered me don't bother me anymore, but life has not gotten easier. It has just shifted and changed and I have different coping skills, but it's just really the story of a journey into womanhood and really focusing on the, the, the purpose that God puts in every woman. Okay. And it's exciting to be a woman. It's brilliant to be a woman. It's especially exciting right now. Well, it's exciting for us men as well, when you are confidently and amazingly just a woman, we love that, don't we, men? Yes. Okay. And so this is a little fragile because we've got this whole feminist movement going. Yeah. And over the top, yeah, over the top stuff yeah. happening, right? 
you're trying to bring that feminism into balance in a way that yeah, women are incredible mm-hmm. and they are co-heirs mm-hmm. and they are all these things. And I'm, I'm going to about ready to do a marriage podcast podcast just on this with first yeah. Peter uh, chapter three and what Peter was actually saying. It's amazing. Um, so walk us in. So you wrote the book kind of from that perspective, right? I did. And I, and I love what it's turned into. And my beautiful daughter-in-law, Mrs. Brooke Black is mm. helping me with it and editing it. And she's like, this is a completely different book, mom. And I'm like, I know. And I think she's excited with me because it speaks to a woman's heart of every generation. I think a woman in her this 15 could read this and, and, and see things. I think a woman in her eighties could see this, but it's just that knowing your purpose that you were created for as a female without hating men in the process. Okay. So now, so that's loaded. Yeah, so I know. How did you figure this out? Walk uh, us, start from the beginning. <laughs> so you grew up in Michigan. Don't make fun of right? me. Right. Wherever you point on your thumb. I did. Um, I won't do my Colorado one. Um, no, that would not be appropriate. And you grew up middle, kind of middle class, safe I, family. I grew up upper middle class okay. and I didn't know um, about the struggles that other people were experiencing. And it wasn't because I didn't care. And it wasn't because my family didn't care. I just really kind of lived in a bubble. And I, I don't, that wasn't a bad thing. It gave me this great foundation of security. I knew my dad came home at the certain same time. My mom came home. I knew we were gonna have family dinners together. It was a beautiful way to grow up. But as I got older, I started thinking like, there's gotta be more. There has to be just a little bit more than the bubble that I'm living in. And I have no criticism to that lifestyle because it was all I knew. But um, God was calling me to something a little wider, a little deeper and a little messier. Yes, much messier, actually. And I don't like messes. So that's the really interesting part. Is okay. Anyone that knows me knows I love men, yet I am called to women. And Thank anyone you, that knows me Jesus, knows that I'm a perfectionist. And I don't like any kind of messes. And my life has been super, super messy. And I'm the biggest mess of them, of them all. But okay. My favorite mess. So you grow up in this upper middle class home. You've got incredible parents. Yes. I love your mom and dad. You've got two kind of wild sisters. My sisters are super fun. Yeah. They're fun. Uh, you're middle. Yeah. We know the middle child. Yeah. And you get married at like 19. I did. I got married really young and I had no plans to do that. I always knew I wanted to be a wife and a mother, but I was going to school. I really thought that I was going, which is hilarious. I was getting a degree to help traumatize children and I didn't even know what that meant. Okay. But there was something in me that was like, people are hurting and I want to see how I can help people come out of that. So I had that in me, just like all women have that. Like they have this sense from the time they're very small little girls of what their calling is in life. But I do think it takes other people sometimes to help pull that out of us and remind us about about no what question. we're called to. <clears throat> no and, question. And, and what it's going to cost you. I just had this conversation with a 28 year old woman just an hour ago, and knowing that she's called to something yeah. much deeper, knowing she has this worship thing on her. But all these schools she's gone to and things she's tried hasn't quite activated right. that. So you get married at 19. I get married at 19. I, a I, great guy. He, he it, I mean, he was a, a wonderful, wonderful man. He was a very pure hearted man. He was a very, he came from a family like I did, a very hard workers, um, very committed people, very faithful people. And um, he really respected his parents. I really respect my parents. And so it was, there wasn't a lot of conflict. It was just kind of like, well, I came from this really nice home and now I'm marrying this really nice man. And the thing that really drew me to John, though, was um, he 
he had this depth to him that I had never seen in any person or any church or anywhere I'd ever been where he had this really intimate relationship with Jesus. Okay. And it, it, I was so curious about that because I follow the rules. I was very morally sound and I didn't really have that much fight in me about what God was asked us to do in living our life right. and helping other people and all the things. That and there were. was an ease on your life. There was an ease. My life was very easy. And your parents, they went to church every Sunday. We went to church all the time. Right. And yeah. mom went off a little bit on the charismatic she, the stuff. The charismatic thing came in, which was From Baptist. Yeah. yeah. And it was bad experiences, bad in experiences that. in that, but the family stayed intact. And so I married this really nice young man and, um, he is a great teacher and he would, we, we got married. We bought this little house. I got pregnant with Alexis when I was, um, I don't think it was 20. Our oldest daughter is Alexis. Our oldest daughter, Alexis. And, um, then, you know, two years later, got pregnant with Emily. And so we're living this like 800 square foot house. He's working and I'm working. We're raising the children. And every day before he'd go to work, he would go into our bedroom and literally get on his knees and spend an hour with the Lord. And I remember just kind of like, he had this relationship that I had never seen. Hmm. I love that. You know, that's kind of a lost thing is getting on our knees before the Lord, which scripture actually says, and you know, James was called camel knees because he spent so much time on his knees for the father. Okay. So John would get on his knees. He'd spend time with the Lord and you were like, I want to know what this intimacy is. Yeah, I was really curious about it. So we really had always done ministry and I had always done, I'd always been involved in helping people younger than me. That was just really natural. And he was doing that as a volunteer at a church. And so that was really natural for us. Um, I, I, I'm trying to have a lot of grace for my younger self now, because (laughs) I see things that I said, I think of things that I did. I, I was very sarcastic. Um, I was pretty judgmental and I was a snob and that's a good combination. <laughs> the trifecta. I, at the time I thought I was a, a awesome. bitchy women. No. Okay. But I didn't know that because it had never been highlighted, nothing. And so when I started getting more and more to the mystery, I saw more and more, um, older women who were very focused on gossip. And there was a lot of gluttony of the flesh and a lot of things that I thought that doesn't really line up with the kind of kind, beautiful woman that I'm So these are, these are Christian women that you're around and they're calling out sin on everyone else, but there are 300 pounds and they're, but I was no better because I wanted to fit in because I moved to a town with John that I didn't have any friends in. I didn't, it was a different kind of community than I grew up in. And I was seen as the girl from the other side of the tracks. And I didn't even, I was like, where are these tracks? Like you were like the, the rich girl. I was like the rich And did you girl. resent John for this? No. Okay. No, because we, we, we were young. And so when you're young, you buy a little house and you, you move to that area. That's interesting. So no, I didn't resent it at all, but I didn't fit in. And so in order to fit in, I started ganging. I started joining in the gossip. Okay. And I was like, this is how I'll be accepted. Well, it didn't take very long for people to start questioning my character, my integrity, and if I actually was a good person because of the words that came out of my mouth. And I made a decision as a young woman. I don't want to be that. Mm -hmm. I don't want to grow into what I'm seeing. And I don't want people to question if my heart is pure, but my mouth and the words that I'm speaking are giving people that impression. And so at like 23, I asked the Lord, like, give me, give me more purity in my heart. So that what comes out of my mouth will be life giving. I didn't have those words for it yet. Uh, Okay. Wait a minute. So I know a lot of really great older women 
But most older women are seem bitter. Mm-hmm. They seem angry. Their husbands have gone silent because, and now they're kind of controlling the, the room and the house, right? And they never made this choice. How did you just make the choice that you were going to just pure, be pure about this? Well, I wasn't pure. I mean, I still had a lot of growing up to do, but I, it hurt my heart that people would, if I would do something kind to someone, they would wonder if I had an ulterior motive. And I thought, but that's not who I am at all. Hmm. So I had to look at myself at a very young age because I always have been in leadership. And the women that get older and they become bitter, it's a lot of times because they're not heard or they're not respected or they're not honored. Absolutely. And I've noticed women that are older, when they say the same thing over and over again, it's because nobody ever listened to them the first time. And so you get more intense every time that you say it. So I was just watching and observing and being And let me say this to that real quick, because I think there's been a lot of insecure, immature men in our pulpits that have taught the roles of women in the church from that space instead of the biblical, what it actually is talking Mm -hmm. about. And we'll talk about that on our next podcast. Yeah, we could do a whole podcast about the partnership between women and men that God designed. And you you wrote this in the book, right? It's all in there, baby. It's all in there. It's all in there. Okay. Um, And so I am, uh, I, I, once again, trying to be kind to my 25 year old self, but I have missed a lot of things in my life. I, there's things that were happening right underneath my nose that I missed. And I, it wasn't intentional. It was just that I think I've always been trying. I have really high standards for my house, for my cooking, for my parenting, for my being a wife, for all those things. And I will sometimes wear myself out in those areas and miss some things that's happening right underneath my nose. And what like, was, give us an example of that. Was well, it? Would you like a really traumatic example? Sure. Okay. So, um, uh, you know, most people that have heard my story or heard me speak know that um, about six years into our marriage, it was actually about five years into our marriage. Um, John had gone out and was going to watch a movie with his brother. And um, I got a call from my sister-in-law and she said, Hey, I need you to come get your husband. The the guys have been drinking and they he can't drive. Okay. And I, I don't know that I've ever heard you share that. Yeah. Well, I've been thinking a lot and watching home movies and memories are coming back to me, but um mm-hmm. I had never seen him. We had no alcohol in our house. We didn't go to any place that even had a bar. I didn't I had never seen him, smelled it nothing was happening that I could see his personality didn't change any of the signs that you see. That's why I have compassion when women tell their story and, and they're like, how did this, this happen to this woman? And she missed it. I'm like, she was probably working and raising children. So, um, he was not a deceptive person in any way, but he had addiction and he was a binge drinker, but I had only ever heard the story. I never saw it my own. So the man that I married was sober, godly, faithful, um, and, and very kind. And he was a great father, his addiction that had almost taken him out in college came back in. Okay. And so in college, he was a binge drinker. He was addicted to alcohol and he got scared and he got really he got scared. scared. He kind of got the fear of God on him on this thing yeah. and stopped. And I think he had a praying mama and some praying aunts and some sure. praying other people. And so that was when he changed his life. So I met him as a transformed person. Okay. I didn't know the struggle. I just knew that we just didn't have alcohol in our house, which was no big deal for me because I was 19. So I wasn't even legally 
able to drink. So it just really wasn't an issue. Our social circles didn't drink. Nobody drank. So it was, it just never really even came up. But that night I went and picked him up at his brother's house and he was not a mean drunk. He was laughing and he was having a hard time putting his seatbelt on. And, um, but it scared me. It scared me like to the core Hmm. because he was really, really, really. Was this before the girls were born? No, this, the girls were about, um, probably a year and maybe three years at this point. Okay. Maybe closer to two and four, but, um, and so the next morning I remember sitting out on the patio and he came to me and said, I'm so sorry. It was one slip up. I, it'll never, ever happen again. And he was crying and crying and he was so sincere that we cried together and prayed together. And that was the end of it. And we never talked about it again, but obviously it had continued from that point and he was hiding it from me. Okay. But, um, and so it, it all came to that point where we hosted um, Thanksgiving at our house and his brother and sister-in-law came over and our kids were there and um, he was supposed to work overtime the next day. And I, uh, he usually called me like every two or three hours because he wanted to see what the girl, he loved his little girls, wanted to see what they were doing and what we were, you know, we didn't have cell phones. It was 1995. And mm -hmm. there were still pay phones and cords on our home I had, phones. I had a, it was on the wall. <laughs> it was on the wall. wall. And it the only phones, stretched this far. <laughs> for some of you younger millennials and Zers, the phones used to be on the wall with yeah. a cord and we couldn't leave the room. Yeah. If you want to picture this scene, it was a kitchen phone on the wall. I think the only other one was back in the master bedroom and my house was rose and um, blue and cream because those were the colors at the time. And so it was November 24th. I can um, smell it almost. Yeah. You've never seen that. House. <laughs> it was very small, but it was a, it was a horrible, dark, cold night. And he was supposed to be home at five and that passed and that passed and that passed. And I made phone calls to try to find him. I called his office. Nobody was picking up and he had never been late. He'd never not called me. He had never he just, if he said he was going to be somewhere, he was It's the kind of man that he was. And he was just very consistent with that. And I had that fear come over me and I'd never known fear like this before, but it was that hot, cold, like on fire feeling inside of you where your adrenaline is just rushing. And I knew something was really wrong, but I couldn't for the life of me figure out what it could be. And so I figured he had been in a car accident and they were, I was waiting for a hospital to call. And I was sure I was going to go pick up a live man and bring him home and give him Tylenol and put a, you know, ice on his head or whatever. But I was terrified and I didn't know what to do because my girls were sleeping and I didn't know where to go look. And there was nothing. I didn't know what I was looking for. I didn't know where I would go. And mm-hmm. I was pacing the floors. I was asking the Lord. I was trying to pray. I was trying to rest. I was trying to figure out what to do. Finally, at two o'clock in the morning, there was a very loud knock on the front door. And it was a very young police officer who looked as miserable as I was and handed me a slip of paper and said, I need you to call this number immediately. So he didn't tell you. He didn't tell me anything. He just gave you a number and said, call this number. Yeah. Do you know how hard it is to dial a phone when you're you're like this? So got a detective on the other end of the phone and he informed me that there had been an accident and that my husband was dead. And I said, he can't be dead. I'm 25. He's 30. And we have two babies, two babies in the other room. I went instantly into why this couldn't be true. Right. But then I just sat down at my kitchen table and um, I'm telling this very calmly because I've been crying for days. I sat down at my kitchen table and made a cup of tea. You've been and crying took for a, years. I've been, been crying so, yeah, for years. That's, that's your fine. So this last, this last November was really rough, wasn't it? Yeah. Thank you for being so awesome. <laughs> I appreciate that. But I, it's got to be so weird for you. 
It's not, not at all. You're very, you're awesome about it though. I love that. But it was the beginning of a nightmare of being a single mom at 25. Um, The gossip in the city was horrible. His family was devastated. Um, There were people that pointed fingers at me and said things like, you must have been a really horrible wife for him to be drinking like this. And your marriage must have not seemed not as happy as it seemed. And you guys must not really be Christian. Wow. It's amazing that the church would do that. The church was horrible to me. And the sales company that I worked for was beautiful to me. And I uh, decided that I did not want to live in Michigan anymore. And I loaded up the truck and moved the girls to Colorado to start a new life mm-hmm. a year later. So you load, you load up the car. Yeah. Your parents come with you. They, yeah. They get Cause they had been through their own horrible trauma through with your horrible older sister. Things. Yeah. Do you write about that? At all no, okay. that's her story. Okay. I'm not her tell it. Um, and so you guys load up, you move to Colorado Springs. Yeah. Um, incredible story. When I revised mine, I met her the day she moved without meeting her. So, you know, the little TikToks that say, say the story without saying the story. This is going to be mine. Yeah. Um, okay. So you get here and you're with the girls. At least your parents are with you. Yeah. And and my girls were traumatized. Yeah. They were. And you were traumatized. We were traumatized. And it was very lonely and it was very scary. But I am a person who loves nature and I love sunshine. And being in the the... I literally would just go for runs. I was running like 10 miles a day and I had never seen such beauty in my life as I did in Colorado. And I, I wouldn't put earphones in. I wouldn't do anything. And the Lord started to speak to me about who I was and what he had for me. And I'd never experienced that before, but I think because my heart was so broken, it was also wide open. Well, I think you were so broken. There was trauma. You were wide open. And, and when you're from Michigan, let's be honest, you only go to Florida. So you'd not really even seen this. I hadn't seen most of the country um, because my family always went to Florida or East. And so the Rocky mountains and and everything, it was just, it was in the climate and the sun. By the way, all you Michiganders, there is something more than just Michigan and Florida. Don't be mean. (laughs) I'm not. I'm just saying. We like Florida. It was warm. Well, I love it. We like peninsulas. That's why we do that. Oh, Don't pick on my people. Oh, yeah. Okay. Got it. Do you know what a peninsula is? (laughs) Yeah, I do. I got it. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I was experiencing this adventure and God was healing my heart and I was raising my daughters. And then I decided it's, I, I really budgeted well so that I could be with the girls and focus on them for the first couple of years. And then I went back to work full time. So you weren't a multimillionaire because of all the life insurance money you got no. from your husband dying? No. Oh, that, that's, that's why I married you. I thought we I know. I'm so sorry to let 20 you know. 20 years later and I find this out now. I'm sorry. I'll write you a check later. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I went back into inner city ministry, which I had been doing in Detroit and loved it. And, um, I started coming alive again and I started feeling hope and I started, uh, realizing that, that my life wasn't over at 26, 27, um, and that I, I could live and I could raise my girls by myself. And there was tons of grace on my life. I mean, God, there was an ease. There was like, he just protected us. And I, I think it's so important for us to remember that he, runs to widows mm. and he takes the hands of orphans. Yeah. And I was a widow raising orphans and yeah. he protected us in a, in a crazy way that I 
like my girls didn't get sick and our bills were paid and we were just protected. Like there, it was a beautiful season of him just like pouring into me and he'd wake me up in the middle of the night and say, come sit with me. I have things to tell you. And I would just go sit in my front room and he would just tell me like, this is who you are. Mm -hmm. And this is what I have for you. And I'd start to write it all down. And then, um, when I was at work one day, one day at work, day. wait, I want to pause here because this is where I come in stories. The best part of the story. No. Um, <laughs> you do love things that are about you. I do. You? <laughs> yeah. I'm a bit of a narcissist. Um, for you young ladies that are going through a hard time for you, single mothers, for your, for you widows, for some of you that haven't experienced this yet, you are going to experience really hard times. Mm-hmm. That's when the father does show up. That's when James one twenty seven the only pure religion actually really happens is he, he comes and he's your husband. He's your best friend. He's all the things. And that as much as it sucks. And as much as we don't want suffering, it's what I wrote this morning. I just had this thought of, you know, the dark night of the soul or when these bad things happen, that's where uh, the the dark room where photography is made. Mm. The most brilliant, most beautiful pictures are made in the darkness. Mm. And that's what he did. He did that. He did this beautiful, these beautiful photos, pristine photos in the midst of the darkest time of your life Mm -hmm. and kept you alive and revealed my calling and revealed your calling because what I was doing was crisis counseling and speaking in the high schools. And I was just pouring into the next generation constantly. And most of them were, you know, either living on the street. I mean, they have really, really hard situations that I couldn't really relate to, but I had so much compassion for. And so I was awesome at it. I was, and I was because it was what I was created to do. Okay. So it was in you kind of like you knew. Yes. And you were created to do it. Yes. And the crazy thing is I could work 12 hours a day there and be full of energy. You put me in an insurance company for 15 minutes and I will die (laughs) because that's not my calling. And yeah. And so you have energy for your calling. It doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't mean it doesn't cost you. Well, and it doesn't mean that you don't need to go work in those insurance companies sometimes. No, you got it. Or at McDonald's or you have to provide. I counseled four days a week and I cleaned houses three days a week because I I was raising two children and I was trying to get ahead and I didn't think I was ever going to get married again. That's good. So I was planning for my future and paying off my house and being super responsible And I mean, so responsible Uh and then, um, also never having any fun. Yes. I I never had any fun. I didn't laugh. She guys, you guys, and I'm sure this is in the book. It has to be, but when I met her and she'll tell that story and it is in the book in a little bit better detail, but she had a six pack of Miller light in her refrigerator in the garage. And one, one time I just looked and I was like, and there was one gone and I'd not been there for a couple of weeks. And I came back, I said, do you ever drink this beer? And she's yes, like, every time I cut the grass, I like to have a when beer. When I cut the grass, that was her fun. That was my big was celebration for, cutting for, two, okay. for two weeks. Yeah, I, I was not having any fun. If I, you know her now and you didn't know her then, I know this is shocking people. No, I know. it was always in me. Like I always loved having fun. I loved dancing. I loved going out. I loved doing all that. But I, I am one of those people that if I put my head down to work, I will not look up. It's true. And I think God knew I needed to have some fun and I needed to laugh. And that was another part of my healing. So I'm at work on a Thursday night, always so busy, never get to even go to the bathroom on a Thursday night. No clients come in, but this tall Viking looking person freaks out my receptionist and comes back to my office. And she says, there's a man here and he's asking for you. And I was like, 
Okay. And so I creaked my head around the corner thinking that this is going to be one of my, my boys, one of my gang members. And there's this tall dressed man with no tattoos. No, I have one now. You do now, but you didn't then. And I thought, what the heck does he want? So what did you want? You? Oh. Yeah, I had, I had stalked her. um, And (laughs) I sat in the Applebee's parking lot in my truck. So Just to make sure, because I had a bunch of her friends, our friends, some of my interns from a past ministry. I'll say, you have to meet this Lisa Hunt. She's gorgeous. She's not afraid of anything. She's all the things you are in a woman's body black. And I'm like, (laughs) what? So I went and checked this out. And then I was like, well, I'm just going to go meet her. So I just walked in. Yeah. And I was under the understanding because you being a salesman sold me on the idea that we were going to work together. You're a ministry. You're going to send all your people over because I needed more volunteers. And so I thought that's what we were doing. I didn't realize we were flirting or building relationship. (laughs) But when you left... I remember thinking it's too bad. He's not the one for me because we would be an awesome team. Yes. Which would freaked me out that I had that thought. And so I got in my car and drove home and I was like, Oh Lord, please keep away all the imposters. I just want to work and focus on my kids. I don't want to be distracted. Late 20 year old women. I have these conversations all the time, right? I was 29. Oh my God. Do you remember my power? I had this conversation today with the 20. Remember my power suit though? Yes, I, I had a truck and I had a power suit because I was like, well, I'm the head of my family now. So I need to wear <laughs> sensible shoes. And you didn't pull that one up. I know I'm a dress high. girl. Yeah. yeah so too. you started pursuing me. Yeah. And I didn't respond because do you remember? No. Yeah. I don't remember this. Oh, it's so interesting how every couple remembers their stories differently. I didn't respond not because I didn't think you were attractive. And not because I I was super drawn to you. You were the most fascinating man I've ever talked to in my life. But your life was in turmoil. total mess. And that's my memoir. I know it is. But I didn't want to mess. Yeah. And so I had the struggle between my really organized perfectionist life with my two little girls. And then you had these three wild little boys. Yeah. And you were in the most horrendous crushing of a man I've ever seen. Yeah close up or far away. And I pivoted one day from thinking, well, this is messy to, and I don't want to touch that to wait, maybe this is part of my calling. Mm. I'm full right now. I've had this time with the Lord. I've got these beautiful little girls. How long had it been since you'd moved to Colorado Springs or since, I guess, since John died and we four met years. four years. Okay. Good. Yeah. I was truly alone. So you had four years I was kind of just getting like trauma, but then just being sealed up by the father. And so I had so much to give. Yeah. I don't know if I ever told you this, but right before I met you, I was looking into um, single parent adopting. And, and so I had this in me, like I have so much more love to give, but I can't have any more babies. I'm not married. I should just go get one of these babies that really needs something. And so I, I, my brain was going that way. Like, well, also I thought it was such a great mom because my girls were so calm and sweet, but it turns out that was just their personality. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Nothing to do with my parenting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think a little. So. Not really. Okay. So we meet, I'd been through this horrible divorce, very violent, very, all the things. Awful. My, the boys were just wrecked. They were, we're traumatized. We've been watching home videos. We just, Lisa just figured out how to get them. And it's just been. It's been emotional. It's brought some emotions to yeah. the top. Yeah. I think that's what's wrong with me right now. Yeah. That's what's wrong with both of us. And so, yeah, we've been fighting Poor a little bit and I couldn't figure out what was going on. And that's probably what it is because it brings up all those old yeah. emotions and you forget 
how you just were with your kids and how you just loved them anyway. Yes. Our perspective is that we gave them everything we had and and everything we didn't have and that they were the focus of our world, but they don't have that perspective. They see where we missed it and it's valid. Like their feelings are valid, but it's very painful to look back on those times and think if I had the wisdom that I have now with that body and that youth, I could take over the world, but it doesn't work that way, but it's okay. Yeah. You know, because now we have the rest of our lives to do it. So we started our relationship. Your boys became my sons. I never had any, any struggle in my heart that they were not mine. They just, I loved them like they were mine and adored them. And I thought they were the cutest, funniest little humans I'd ever met. And we had this household of five children and total chaos, but we laughed a lot. We danced a lot. And we danced so much. We, ex- we would escape the trauma and we'd get into the mountains with the kids and go camping and do those things. And we built this really beautiful little family. And then me not, uh, for some reason wanted to have another baby with five children. And so we had Noah. Yes. And he is such a reflection of his dad's looks, but he acts just like me. So it's, he's definitely well, ours. And, and I'm sure you're right about this, but I want to say this so that you young ladies listening, young married women or, or uh, just, no, we had two miscarriages mm-hmm. before Noah. Mm-hmm. And that stuff happens. <laughs> Bad things happen to really great people. And life is really hard. Again, I want to keep saying this. And it's never perfect. You'll never have mm-hmm. perfect kids. Perfect. You'll never be a perfect parent. Yeah. You'll never any of those things. Mm-hmm. But you do make it and you do make it the best mm-hmm. you can. Absolutely. And you're right. Is Everyone's perspective is just so different. But it was so funny because we had so much right. trauma going on with our kids that the miscarriages were kind of like, literally like, well, better clean myself up and take a shower and keep moving. And I remember one after one, I, we were at a picnic the next day and I kind of pulled your mom over the side. I was like, yeah, I, I had a miscarriage last night. And she was like, why aren't you resting? Why? I'm like, cause I have five kids and we have to go to this picnic. And that was really kind yeah. of the mode that we were in for so long. Yeah. Survival and, and-, and, and just like, um, you know, not ever being able to really take time to, to grieve ourselves or, or work on our stuff, but we did learn with a large family that this was the most important thing. And we couldn't be that great a parent if we didn't have a great marriage. Right. And so we, we made that a priority. Yeah. We it had, was, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. We didn't have money. A lot of times mm-hmm. we, um, we had a lot of things coming against us in a no. lot of ways, but we all, all, one of the largest churches in the country, literally most of the people and the staff came against us. Yeah. Um, they demanded things that were just unrealistic and crazy. Yeah. It was just a wild. The of all the things I've lost, my reputation was it it ugh, that one hurt the most well, because tough. I'd spent 30 years building it. Well, it was so important to you as a young woman. It was important. To, I prayed these prayers that I would not be a a person that brought pain into people's lives. And when people started questioning who I was again, it, it, it tore me up in a, a way that other things yeah, did not. Absolutely. So we kept going and we moved to Africa with six children and we, (laughs) we started, you know, part of the world race and we're involved in that and had all these people in our house all the time. And then we moved back from Africa to Colorado Springs. And that was when everything kind of blew. We we were in our eighth year of marriage. Mm -hmm. We had a five-year-old, a 10-year-old, and then the rest were teenagers. And I think all of the issues that we thought were dealt with when they were little, came to the surface. Yeah. They started manifesting. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Moving back to Colorado was the toughest thing we've ever done. Yeah. And it was eight years of, uh, real turmoil. Like our marriage was in real turmoil. 
Our kids were all in turmoil. They all responded differently. Some got real depressed. Some got really angry. Some, it just, they, everyone was, and I felt like my, all my days were just trying to balance everybody's emotions and everybody's stuff. And I did not take care of myself in that. I put myself very, very low on priorities on, um, yeah, I got real sick. Well, my body you got real sick in Africa. I got real sick in Africa, but I could not recover because we were just the, the trauma that was around us all the time and everything we were going through. Yeah. And that is a huge piece of being a woman is this, this thing of self-care. People think that means getting a manicure or pedicure. It doesn't. It means like staying connected to the father. It means prayer it means it, finding solitude. It, it means yeah. good female friendships that you laugh. Well, it means a wait, great- wait, wait, stop there for a second. Good female—that's a very unusual thing. I never—I mean, one of the biggest things we get on our coaching calls is young women, young brides that can't find older women mm-hmm. or even friends mm-hmm. in a community. If you have one, is that enough? If you have one solid woman, okay, that will walk through life with you, you Huge. have all you need. And if she's a little older than you and she's gone before you and she understands you've got everything that you need, you do not need to fill your house with 20 people. You need one woman that you could call at three o'clock in the morning. That's just going to cry with you. And I had that. And she was better than any therapist. She was better than any psychologist. She was, she loved me unconditionally. She never judged me. She never put down anything, anyone. She, even when we were in turmoil and I was like, I don't even know if we're going to make it. She never said, yeah. He's no good. Move on. She always loved you, loved my kids. And she's still one of my best friends. Yeah. Linda Sickinger, by the way, you rock. You're she's my hero. Yeah. Oh, you got choked up. Yeah. Yeah. If you have one. And so I feel like that's just, um, kind of the call of the rest of my life is, um, to help young women be that one for someone else, but also to find their, their one and to go deep with that, to be vulnerable, but that has to take time. Mm-hmm. And this generation of women have been taught to be vulnerable and naked like that. Yeah. And then it Too gets quickly. used against them. And yeah. we need, we need to, we need to watch people over time. And the thing that you have to watch over time to go back to what we originally started talking about was our mouth and our words. And the purpose of a woman is to give life. If a woman is speaking ill, of anybody else in your presence, she's doing the exact same thing about you. Yeah. Anytime anybody starts a conversation with you about somebody else, you know, they're going to do that about you. Yeah. That's when I stop the friendship. Literally. I know. Like, I don't need to go any further with you because I know you're going to talk. About I run me. so fast and, and so I'm hard. okay with that now because I don't <laughs> care. But okay, wait. So do you feel like that's the core of your book? The core of my book is the journey into womanhood because I was a 20 five-year-old little girl. And we have a lot of 85-year-old little girls. And actually to grow into a woman, into womanhood takes a choice. Yes, It takes a choice <laughs> to take control over your mouth. It takes control. It's, it's a choice how you're going to respond. Uh, a little girl is absolutely controlled and a slave to her emotions. A grown woman has all those emotions, but she controls them. Mm. So it's just the essence of there's there's something so beautiful about being a woman. We've been abused. We've been we've been mistreated. 100%. We have been told that we're second class. None of those things are true. That was never God's original plan. Mm. But the church has been kind of the biggest problem there of saying, well, we can't have women lead and we can't have women. What? Yeah. Like who's going to lead then? It's, it's, it's amazing. I was having this conversation with a much older man today about what I'm reading in first Peter three and what Peter was actually saying to these women, which again, we'll do on a future pod- podcast. 
and I got my head bitten off. Oh, of course. And it because they've never been taught anything but false, horrible blasphemy oh, about women. I know. Okay, so, so we we have had to fight uphill, but here's what here's where we're at, women. Yeah, men is we can. I'm a feminist. I want equal rights for women. I want a partnership. I do not hate men. I love men. I need men. I love my sons. So you're not a radical feminist. No, I don't. I don't. I think you're a feminist. I am a feminist. You love women. You want equal rights for women. You see the beauty of a partnership with a woman. Yes. It saved your butt time 100%. and time again. 100%. So that's, that's what that is. It's not this man hating thing and us trying to evolve into men. It's us coming into the fullness of what we were created to into in our purpose as being women, which is different than men. One is not better than the other, okay. but we don't definitely too much need each away. other. And I want to back oh, up just so a second. Much in there. I know because I don't know what you wrote about this, but we haven't touched it yet. And I want to touch it real quick. Maybe it's you your should story. read my book. Well, I will. And I listened to a lot of it. Your, your chapter the other day was pretty strong and pretty deep. And it kind of rocked me about the Disney trip with the girls when you were single. Mm-hmm. I'd never heard that before. Um, so that's, that's a great chapter. I think it's chapter six. Which chapter am I in? You're in all the chapters. Oh, okay. It's all about um, you. The all right. book is all about so, you. Anyway, I, I'm joking. I hope you guys know that. Um, <laughs> kind of, mostly. Um, okay. So we come back to Colorado. I have three companies. I start, raise a bunch of money. They fail. We almost get divorced. All kinds of things are happening. And then Michael. So how do you bring Michael into the core of this story? Yeah. Um, still the hardest thing we've ever been through is losing a child the way that we lost our boy. And um, the devastation of when you're a parent, especially when you're a mom, is all that you want to do is help your kids to thrive. And when you have a child that's suffering, and no matter what you do, you can't save them. It's it, it reforms your entire world and the way that you see everything. And so uh, the suicide of our boy, um, it, it pushed me. I know it pushed everyone in our family, but it pushed me into a, a pit that I couldn't get out of for years. Yeah. Um, I questioned everything. And um, I just want everyone to know that when you experience a loss like that, people around you want you to get over it because it makes them feel better. And they want to wrap it up with a bow real quick. And we don't really know how to grieve in this country. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't grieving, Michael. I was 100% traumatized by his loss and my failure as a mother to save him. And that was the only thing I could focus on. And so that was literally a six-year journey of, and he's only been gone, what, seven and a half years now? Mm -hmm. It's coming up on eight. 2013. That um, is allowing the Lord into that space because I didn't want to hear anything that anyone had to say to me. I didn't want to hear anything that God had to say to me. And every time he'd start to whisper to me, I'm like, you know what? I don't trust you anymore because this was my sacred thing. My children are my sacred thing. And that's been taken away from me now. So it, it took years to work through that. And I'll always miss him. I'll always cry when his name comes up because it's not how his story was supposed to end. And we don't get to pick our days and when we end our days, we, we get to pick how we live our days, but we don't get to end them. And it's never, that's just never the solution. And so before I could rise above that pain to go back into our calling, which all ultimately spurred us both on to fight even harder for the next generation to quit criticizing them for their fear and their anxiety and their pain and asking, why is that there? And how do we help them out of it? 
How do we take all the Michaels of the generation and say, there's hope and here it is and here's what it is. And so it refocused us, but it was a journey to get there. Yeah. I mean, you're talking kind of like your story, upper middle class, had a full ride rugby scholarship, and probably playing one of the USA most rugby. Physically beautiful humans and thousands of people show up to his funeral I mean, because he just was that he, guy. His personality. I know I people always think that you saint people that are dead, but Michael was awesome. He was awesome. He was awesome. Simply awesome. And beautiful. And his heart and was huge. he could be he got into some major heavy drugs yeah. and he could be horrible. Yeah. And he was. And, and getting hurt, him out of prison. Hurt a lot of people. He hurt all of us. Um and so yes. And Coming out of that, as you're writing this book and we're watching these videos right now, <laughs> how does that tie in to helping these women reading your book? And then I think men, I know men are going to want to read this book. What is that? How does that help you process or help other women process? And we get knocked down all the time. That's life. We're going to get knocked down, knocked down time and time again. We're going to question things time and time again. It isn't, it's Okay that we get knocked down. It's okay that we get overwhelmed. It's okay that we grieve. It's okay that we cry, but the pain is what actually transforms us. Mm. And to, I could sit in this pain the rest of my life. I could drink myself to death. I could do all kinds of things. I want to transform that into looking at other people. Now that little girl that was so judgmental and such a snob and had all the answers and just didn't figure out why people couldn't live their life better. I have completely different eyes now. I can't look at anyone that's hurting and not weep with them. I can't look at anyone that's hurting and not have compassion for them. There's very few situations I can see any man or woman in where I can't relate to it on some level. Gosh, it's so funny. I was, I was interviewing today uh, a girl that's coming to G42, our leadership academy. Um, and they didn't want to ask me what I thought of homosexuality, <laughs> but they had to. Okay. And, and it's because it's just a big story around their family. Yeah. And, you know, my reaction now is my God, I'm, they're my, ki- they're my spiritual kids. I love them. I'm, yeah. they come to our house for dinner yeah. and we're in their life. And I don't still can't endorse that. I don't find that in scripture. Uh, but I, I it doesn't affect the way that I see them no. now. Humans. 20 years ago, 10, 15 years well, ago, we were taught, we would have we were taught this, this, we were taught right and wrong and black and white. Yeah. And now we have this perspective of life or death. And so I, I just, I mean, it's crazy, but when I'm, when I'm driving in downtown Colorado Springs and I see a homeless woman walking and talking to herself, I just think I, that could be what's me. her story. Yeah. What's her story? <laughs> what brought her to this? You this actually point? do. Say that. I do. I no, like, that could be me. That could be me tomorrow. Like <laughs> this could go south real quick. And I just think, what happens to her that now she's, she only has herself to talk to and what, what's my responsibility right. to love and, her. And, and we hear people say this all the time still. Well, I wonder what door she has open her life that she's on the streets. Uh, it's not the proper perspective, guys. Don't say it around all. me. Yeah. And, and, and I want to say this to, I was thinking of this early. You never say never. No. Right. No. I'll never do that or I'll never yeah. be that. And because God hears that and he actually will go, oh, really? I'm God, you're not. And so that's huge. And that's a huge part of our story. Yeah. Okay. So Michael, we, I don't know how we make it. We get through a couple years of just floundering. And then 2015, we moved to Spain. Which probably saved us. Saved us for sure. I know for sure saved you. You, Those first few years there. Took us out of that fog. Yeah. Uh, It was just so many memories and so, so intense and um, uh, just kind of took us into a different place where we could kind of 
rests for the first time ever. I think it was the first time I had ever rested in my life. When we first got there, you and Noah and I, um, we slept. Yeah, we, we slept, slept for we months. Yep. And we desperately needed it. And I don't think we could have moved on without taking that. But also the ministry that came out of that and having a partnership with Mo and Andrew Shearman and them, them bringing us in and them loving us and them and covering us and protecting us and all the beautiful things that they did. And then the beautiful interns and students that we had, um, we're so honoring, yeah, so still loving still and so generous and kind yeah. and saw us as human beings, not of what we had to give to them or what, what they could take from us, but what could they, what could we do together and, and yeah. what were we learning from each other? And it's, it was a beautiful season. Really of course, COVID rips that away and we're back in Colorado Springs now. Okay. So that's what I want to ask you. Okay. okay so let's back up. So we, we go to, go to Spain. We don't do anything for a while. Then all of a sudden our gifting shows back up. And, and I do want to say this, that, you know, I've been doing youth ministry for 30 years. Lisa's been doing youth ministry, inner city ministry for 25 years. Michael's death definitely created something new in us as we transformed through that for a passion for the generation. It's not the reason we do everything we do, but it definitely put a big, huge stamp moving to Spain after being in the world race and coaching and all those things, we missed about six, seven years. And we realized we had to learn a whole new language because the generation had changed so much. much. And part of our value system became vulnerability and sharing our lives and all those things. Um, And then COVID hits and we're ripped out of Spain. We're back in Colorado Springs, by the way, G42 Leadership Academy will be here this spring uh, in March. We don't know anything uh, after that. We don't know we're anything just, after we're, that. We're like the rest of the world. So we're March, just April, to May, we're go. Yeah. partnering with YWAM here in Colorado Springs in the city. Okay. What does it mean to you that, okay, so you moved here as a widow. Mm-hmm. We moved to Africa. Yeah. We come back here and it was the most horrible season. Horrible. Um, and then we moved to Spain, <laughs> which was incredible. Mm-hmm. And now we're back. Uh-huh. And so how does this fit into your memory? I'm so excited. I can't stand it okay. because I feel like everything that the Lord put in me that I thought was going to happen when I was 25, when I first came to the city and he gave me these Ooh, visions good. Yeah. and he gave me this, this idea. Oh, this is so and good. And I met you and I had to decide between that path and and really being there for you and being there for the kids. It was, it was difficult for me to be a stay-at-home mom with small children. It's not, it's not an easy thing to do. Right. And um, I did the best that I could. That, that <laughs> I do know. I did not do it perfect. And I have tons of failings, but I really gave it everything I had. Now, as a 50-year-old woman... I am in this city again, where God originally showed me these, these dreams. He put them in me. They were his ideas that I wasn't that brilliant. I see it all coming together now. And I see that when a lot of times as a woman, we, a woman, we think because we do our bodies change more than men's do. We go through more hormonal stuff, childbirth, all the stuff we go to. A lot of times we put our careers on hold to stay with our children because some, I don't think it matters who it is, but someone has to stabilize the family. Yes. And you made a lot more money than me. So it was a no brainer that you, you, I would stabilize that family and you would, you would provide for that family. And that was the agreement that we made. And we were a good team in that, but I missed I missed it. I missed my career. I missed what I was doing with my life. And now as a 50 year old, our daughter, Alexis, who came to this city as a vulnerable four and a half year old after losing her father, 
and was surrounded by a community of caring teachers and other mothers and all the things that, that God provided for her here. She now is doing inner city stuff. Right. And her and I about a block away from a, where you did about your 10 feet away from where <laughs> right. I did mine. And her and I are dreaming and coming together and coming up with these ideas and things that we want to see happen in this city that we want to see happen in every city. And I feel like this is a season of kind of bringing all those things together. So uh, we're not stopping. We've actually pushed on the gas harder than we ever have before. We are building, we're dreaming. Um, we are going for it. I figure maybe if we take really good care of ourselves, we might have 20 good years left. And so we're trying to do everything wow, that we can. that's wishful. Thank you. Yeah, okay. I'm not going to make a long So time. wait a minute. I want, I want you to hear this so desperately, guys. God puts dreams and a call on your life. And you almost want to give up everything because mm -hmm. it makes you feel alive. For men, and again, we'll talk about this in future podcasts, all we want is respected. And our whole life, that's all we want without even asking the question. That's why you see 40-year-old men with pot bellies talk about their glory years in high school of sports because it was the Stop only time there. they felt respected. Yeah. Right. And so, and all women want is for us to understand them and know their heart and to listen to that heart. And so, and then a woman's always yearning for that. She doesn't know that all the time consciously, um, but you have these dreams and these things that God put in you. And you're like, why isn't this happening? I want this. I want this. I want this. And then guess what? You go a whole other direction around the other side of the mountain that you didn't think you'd have to go to, right. to get there. Yeah. And so at 20 and at 25, now at 50, mm -hmm. you're finally walking. And when we do another podcast, when we're in our late 60s, we're going to say, oh. Oh, I thought that was it. Here we and, are, right? and now I know this. And now I understand this. And now this makes more sense. And then here's the thing, though, is we have to share that wisdom with the next generation. Hmm. But it is not our responsibility to talk down to them. Mm -hmm. And we can't skip the steps for them. Cannot, and you can't skip the steps. Nobody can skip the steps. But sure. it's never going to look like you think it's going to look. It's going to cost you way more than you thought it would. Sure. You're not going to do it all perfectly. But stepping out to serve a family, stepping out to serve a spouse, stepping out to serve your parents, whatever it is, is not the end. It's yes. all part of it. It's all part. And so, so many times, probably five or six times a day, I look a young woman in the eye and say, this isn't the end, sweetheart. This is the beginning. But it feels like death. It yes. feels like everything's gone away, but trust me, this is a foundation for something that you're going to do for the rest of your life. And so embrace it and go with it. I'm not going to keep telling young women to stare at their children all the time because it's such a precious season. It's way too much pressure. Every season is hard. Every season is wonderful. And it's never as good as it seems. And it's, it's never, never as bad as, as it, it seems. seems. Right. Okay. So let's conclude here. So you, the book, and you're not going to tell us when, because we don't know when it's going to be out, but it's pretty close. It's being edited. Chapters are being edited. Working title? I really like um, sac the, the All Sacred Things. All Sacred or, Things. Yes, I do. The, the Journey into Purpose for Womanhood. All Sacred Things, The Journey into Purpose for Womanhood. Yeah. Okay. If you've got better suggestions, I know you haven't read it. Let us know. Um, anything else you want to tell us? I love you. I love you too. Okay. Awesome. Kiss. Thanks oh, for the, for the video. Guys, uh, again, thanks for listening. My gosh. Um, GaryandLisaBlack.com for uh, you can sign up for coaching there um we've probably did about 15 or 18 sessions between the two of us yeah, this i'm week. gonna have a miller light tonight yeah amen <laughs> um and and but we love it we do find life in it and we're, we're finding that um, prophetically it's bringing life to other people um we really want to build our podcast out we got evan diaz we're doing our website you, caleb pauls uh, and sue you, caleb, working on our stuff sue. and they're coming to g42 so they're going to help us a ton more here in colorado springs 
Patreon. Go sign up. Patreon.com slash Gary and Lisa Black. I signed up. It's a buck a month, 10 bucks a month if you want the marriage stuff. Um, look for a bunch more from us this year. We love you. We appreciate you. A marriage intensive coming up. I'm reading some amazing material that we're going to put our spin on our life on uh, that I think is going to just really help and save a lot of marriages. And set up some, the thing about premarital counseling, because we do that as well, it doesn't mean you have all the answers before your wedding day. We're just trying to give you some tools yes, so that you can skip some crazy steps, but you're still going to have to go through the journey. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's about the process. And remember, it's always both ends. It's always about the journey and yeah. it's always about the destination. Quit focusing on the destination and enjoy the process. Enjoy the season you're in because it goes like this, guys. You blink and it's over. God bless you. Have an amazing rest of your week. <laughs>